Ladies and gentlemen, people of the internet, welcome back to yet another episode of Crypto Over Coffee. Hope you're doing well today. And if you're new here, every Saturday, we break down the latest news and the hottest topics in the world of technology and cryptocurrency over a cup of delicious coffee. Well, today it's actually beer. It's been a long day. That being said, in today's episode, I'm talking about one inch exchange, Elrond, Cardano, Bitcoin, our usual 404 Logic Not Found segment, and more. So make sure you stick around for all the updates we've got in store on today's episode. As always, we're going to kick it off with questions from you, the awesome folks who support Crypto Over Coffee week in, week out. Thank you for that. If you want one of your questions answered, please leave them in the comments down below. Tweet me at Hishoshi4. And if you would be so inclined, please do subscribe to the channel, hit the bell notification button, or follow the podcast on your platform of choice so you get a heads up whenever I post new episodes of Crypto Over Coffee. And finally, if you are a Cardano ADA holder, please do consider delegating to my stake pool with the ticker symbol H4SH. More details about the pool are below in the description. Thank you in advance for that. And let's go ahead and dive into the very first question of the day. Now, the first question of the day is from Christian Hilfrich. Great video again. Thank you, Christian. Do you think Ethereum Classic will have a comeback when it switches to proof of stake or when ETH switches to proof of stake? Excuse me. So I think Ethereum Classic is this really interesting sort of case, right? You rewind all the way back to the DAO hack that happened in Ethereum. And essentially, Ethereum Classic was born from a group of people, a group of miners and and participants and node owners that didn't want or didn't support the reorg that was kind of orchestrated by core Ethereum team, Vitalik Buterin, etc., to sort of return funds to the people who were affected by the DAO hack. There was this sort of purist mentality here, like we should not allow a reorg, we should let funds be lost and call it like it is. So that became what Ethereum Classic is today. Now, for a long time, Ethereum Classic was developed and maintained, but not that well, not that closely, I guess. It's not even just well, it's just there wasn't a lot of work being done on Ethereum Classic. Subsequently, too, exchanges stopped really pushing it. Very few people were buying it. It got 51% attacked multiple times, right? But now in the recent months, there's been sort of this move to start developing on Ethereum Classic again. And as Ethereum, as we know it today, where DeFi and NFTs and all these things are happening, sort of moves to proof of stake, I have a feeling that Ethereum Classic might actually attract a certain amount of the miners and other like users that really were devoted to the way Ethereum is today. There are issues, there are flaws with Ethereum today. Some people don't love the way consensus is reached. Some people don't love the scripting language, what have you. I think there will be a fair number of miners and users that move over from Ethereum as it moves to 2.0 and proof of stake over to Ethereum Classic sort of for the old school experience, if you will. I also think that Ethereum Classic is becoming an, an interesting place for potentially stable coin providers as well, because it's sort of the another another avenue, another mechanism by which to issue stable coins in an interoperable fashion. So if Ethereum Classic can become interoperable with a bunch of other protocols, maybe by way of Polkadot, that could be another avenue. It's really hard to say whether or not this will materialize, but I think Ethereum Classic, the fact that it's still here today proves that it is resilient and it could very well come back into the mix in the future. So just my thoughts, no way to know for sure, but we shall see. Second question is from Nolan, and this was about last week's episode, what is your grapefruit coffee tonic? So I talked about that really briefly in my last episode. This show is coffee themed, I suppose, so I'm going to address the question. I'll be quick about it. 
Grapefruit coffee tonic is a drink that I found out about, I think, in Toronto when I was there. My wife is from Toronto, hence that's why the sign is there. I'm actually not Canadian, fun fact. I'm from the U.S. My wife is from Canada. That's where I got the sign. Anyway, I digress. Grapefruit coffee tonic, you take cold brew coffee, so coffee that's sort of steeped in water. You get cold brew coffee, you make tonic water that could be homemade with quinine syrup or you could buy it from the store and you get grapefruit syrup, which again, you can make if you just make simple syrup, one part water to one part sugar, one to one ratio, boil it down, make it into a syrup. You can steep some grapefruit in it and you get this sweet grapefruit syrup, mix that all up together. Um, I usually do a larger batch and I just make it to taste. I don't really do measurements, but if you drink that, I swear to you, it is this carbonated grapefruity coffee. It's delicious. Anyway, that's what it is. Thank you for your question. Now back to crypto. Third question of the day is from Tadis Dillon. Thank you very much. One question. I was wondering how exactly Taproot allows Bitcoin to have smart contracts. Would these contracts be written in a language unique to the Bitcoin network or will it be able to use an existing language like Ethereum Solidity? So I mentioned this in the last episode, and I think it might have been confusing to some folks. So let me sort of clear this up. So when I say smart contracts in the context of Bitcoin and the recent Taproot update to the Bitcoin network sort of enables a better experience with smart contracts on the Bitcoin blockchain, I don't mean smart contracts in sort of the stateful, deterministic, um, decentralized application use cases that you see in Ethereum, right, for really complex, like NFT use cases, etc. Smart contracts in the context of Bitcoin are very much about um, sort of conditional payments and how payments are managed, how you send your Bitcoin. And so I wrote these down because the the names are so similar. I want to give you the correct information. So essentially, in Bitcoin, there's what's called Bitcoin script, and that's script with a capital S. It's the name of the core scripting language for Bitcoin, and it helps you control how assets are sent or how you send Bitcoin from an account. And so earlier on and, and up till now, there were these two major mechanisms um, by which smart contracts were, were executed on the Bitcoin blockchain. There was pay to script hash, which is P2SH, and pay to public key hash, which is P2PKH. And they were both both basically mechanisms by which to establish conditional sending and smart contract logic around how Bitcoin is sent. Now with Taproot, there's sort of this um, sort of amalgamation or unification of those different methods. And now under the name pay to Taproot or P2TR, as you can see, they're very similar names and I always mess them up. So I wrote it down so I can make sure I give you the right info. Essentially, Taproot is making these things simpler. It's also letting you take advantage of more complex contract mechanisms in how you set these things up. So this could be for multi-sigs, this could be for time-locked wallets, this could be for just simple conditional sending based off of some sort of application. A lot of different things that you can do, but in the general sense of the word, Taproot helps make better the existing Bitcoin script capabilities that are out there, but it doesn't necessarily create this new world where you can use like Solidity to create staple smart contracts on Bitcoin, if that makes sense. So hopefully that clears up the the sort of the question there. But in essence, smart contracts on Bitcoin different than what you'd see in Ethereum, but still technically smart contracts because it's logic on chain. Thank you for your question. And finally, question from Ialo Trikov or Ivilo. Trikov, excuse me. 
uh, could you make an independent video on link? Because for something that pretty much everyone uses, the price doesn't show that. And I'm seriously thinking of selling my link. So I'm a fan of Chainlink. People know that. I've made several videos about Chainlink. I've made a really detailed explainer about Chainlink. I'm still a fan of Chainlink for that same reason. Why I think the price action is not following what people are saying is because Chainlink is not done yet, right? There's a lot of features that need to come to Chainlink in order for it to realize its full vision. It's also very dependent on other projects, other layer one chains, things like Polkadot as well in the interoperability space to deliver in order to reach its full potential. Because Chainlink is a tool that many different blockchains use, until those blockchains really get adoption, Chainlink's not gonna get adoption. And that is why you see this sort of this sluggishness in Chainlink. You also have a community around Chainlink that's very aggressive in pushing the token. So you might think, oh, it's like, it's so much more advanced, but it's not reaching the token price. But in reality, I think right now it's in a place where it, it's poised and continuously, and the, the team is continuously innovating and building. But factually, it needs time to still develop along with the rest of the ecosystem. So don't get impatient. If you believe in what Chainlink is doing and you believe in the necessity of having oracles, which you should because they're very important, then I still think Chainlink is something to get exposure to. But your own investment decisions are really up to you. I don't give financial advice on the channel and I'm not equipped to do so. So I think Chainlink is in a fair, fairly good spot right now. I think you've seen what it can do. But time will tell, the tech will tell, and adoption is adoption, so we'll see what happens. Now, let's go ahead and dive into the news section. Now, just a friendly reminder, as we do every week, please be aware of scammers that are in the comments, excuse me, posing as me and other crypto YouTubers. I do not have a WhatsApp, and I will not ask you to contact me. And you guys generally know how I speak and write. It's pretty clear that they aren't me, especially with all the symbols and stuff. If the comment does not have a name highlighted like you see here, it is not me, and you can report them. They're also reporting my comments, so I get deleted. It's weird. Now, in partnership with the folks at Keystone, I also do a giveaway every week of a Keystone Steel Seed Phrase backup in every episode, and I do that by picking a random comment from the video, and then I also give away one Keystone hardware wallet per month, and just for transparency, the product is only available in select regions, so if you win and you're from a region where it isn't supported, I'm just going to send you some Bitcoin instead. Now, the winner of last week's giveaway, the first one back for the Keystone is here on the screen so a big congratulations to you and of course i will be in touch remember leave your comments below for a chance to win now this week's crypto market update is largely cast in the shadow of yet another week of volatile price action that saw bitcoin close the week in the low 30 30 thousands and most altcoins following suit with losses in the single digit percents but we did have a few big names like axie infinity a popular nft project seeing some big gains this week on the back of solid metrics and usage of the core game that underpins the project now, the bright side is that Bitcoin and Ethereum stayed above major psychological levels of 30,000 and 2,000 respectively, at least for the most part, and at least until the turn of the night on Friday when I started writing this episode. While the weekends tend to be pretty darn rough for crypto prices, it remains to be seen how long the relatively sluggish price movement will continue at the macro level. Now, this is a question I get a lot. When are we going to see some returns back to positive price growth that we saw earlier in this year? I mean, it's impossible to say with any certainty, but my gut feeling is that we do not consistently return to positive price movement until late summer. Like we're talking August, mid-August, end of August timeframe. 
fundamentally, this thought is based off of the sentiment right now. It takes time to shake negative sentiment. And I also think it will take time to clear the smoke and, and get clarity on the Bitcoin mining fears in China as it shifts abroad, which is a great thing, by the way. There are, of course, other things that could happen, like the stock market selling off that often drags crypto down with it. So those can shift the time scale quite a bit in terms of where we see recovery. All in all, I do think we approach late summer, early fall, and then turn towards positive price growth again. But until then, it's going to be about weathering the storm and realizing that the negativity is going to abound. People are going to tout their losses and say crypto is a scam. It's not. It's like the stock market. Bad timing, poor planning, poor risk management can get you in trouble. And the latter, that poor risk management can get you in a lot of trouble. It's easy to get tricked into the get-rich-quick mindset in a bull market, and I hate to see people getting hurt with losses like that. We'll talk more about this later. But the song remains the same. Have a plan. Stick to the plan. And think about things with a long time horizon. We could very well see Bitcoin see a reversal to bullishness on the back of minor profitability after that huge mining difficulty drop as well. So let's see how all this plays out here in the next several weeks. Now, I know... Every week, folks stop by to get updates on Elrond. I know I've got quite a few Elrond fans in the sort of the audience here, so thank you very much. And Elrond, for those who don't know, is a high-performance blockchain network that has arguably the best user experience I've ever seen in crypto with their excellent MyR mobile app. And speaking of that mobile app, MyR, if you own eGold on an exchange or another wallet, you need to move over to MyR, in my opinion, because it is stellar. And you can stake there super easily and earn some eGold. Of course, you need to keep that seed phrase safe. Among all other things, that is the most important. But if you want to try MyR, I'll leave my referral link down below. Now, investors around the world can already use MyR to buy eGold and other cryptocurrencies supported on the app, like Ether, for example. But now the USA is getting into the game. Using partners like Ramp and MoonPay, MyR now lets USA investors buy Bitcoin, Ether, and BNB from the app itself. And soon, eGold will also be supported within the app for purchase. To me, this is the key element of making the Elrond ecosystem more easily accessible. And it's to provide a simple on-ramp for folks to get access to the native cryptocurrencies within Elrond. So beyond that, the anticipation for the DeFi ecosystem that's coming to the app and to Elrond soon, that's also heating up, right? We've got the launch of the MyR exchange coming soon. And my hunch is that this BNB, Ether, and Bitcoin support will be part of that exchange system, letting you do swaps and earn liquidity in with those pairs on the app. And this is why I think they're being added to it now. But we shall see if my hunch is correct, if, if Bitcoin and BNB and Ether are, are just part of the, the DeFi play. Anyway, if you've held eGold on MyR or a self-custody wallet, or you've staked eGold in the past, over the last several weeks, I think 11 weeks now, you can head to the MyR.exchange website to check on the balance of your MEX tokens. Those are tokens that you will get when the MyR exchange launches here in the coming weeks by just punching in your wallet address. On that page, you can check how many you're gonna get. Uh, these native MEX tokens will be your passport to the exchange and swap features within the DeFi ecosystem itself. And what I believe will happen is that people will be able to get access to eGold at a much faster rate and in more regions around the world with this MyR exchange because it's gonna increase the total access to eGold because people are going to be able to use the app to get access to it through the decentralized exchange. That in and of itself, with the lockup period of, of staked eGold, will drive the price and the stability of the price upward. So to me, Elrond's success has just begun. 
Now, I've gotten a few questions about this news that broke this week describing the lack of activity on the Bitcoin blockchain compared to Ethereum. And a lot of these articles have been trying to assert that this means Bitcoin is somehow inferior to Ethereum in this metric, right? Or just in general, Bitcoin is inferior to Ethereum. Now, this could have been the 404 logic not found today, but I've actually kind of understand why people think this. So I'll just address it and let it pass. The data is as follows. In recent weeks, the Bitcoin active address count has dropped by more than half from over a million to around 500,000, which means that there are fewer addresses moving Bitcoin and actively doing things on the network. Now, at face value, many will think that this is concerning. However, I do not really share that viewpoint. First of all, Bitcoin is primarily a sound economic asset that's posturing as a store of value these days. I would expect far less on-chain activity than compared to a smart contract-enabled blockchain where the incentive is to transact often. That's how you extract value from the system. In Bitcoin, we have seen the exchange activity pointing to large investors switching to cold storage HODL mode or HODL mode, whatever you want to say. This reduction in active addresses is perfectly understandable given the bearish price movement. People are holding and waiting for a reversal in the bullish direction. This is their long-term savings account. Furthermore, Ethereum will always be more active than Bitcoin because there is incentive to transact consistently with smart contracts and the applications it allows, like DeFi. This is exactly what I would expect. And actually, this is what should have happened a long time ago. Like gold, Bitcoin is a long time horizon buy and hold type of asset. And despite the maximalist claims, Bitcoin does not have, nor will it have, nor does it need native DeFi or complex smart contracts. In fact, Bitcoin is the savings account bridge to many other networks who do DeFi better than any Bitcoin product ever will. And that is okay. It's better than okay. That's the symbiotic ecosystem that we've always wanted. Bitcoin does not need millions of active addresses to be a solid asset. Just like Ether doesn't really need deflationary supply to be a good smart contract platform. It's high time we stop comparing protocols that aren't even close to the same and trying to say which one's better than the other. They're very complementary. Now, in the world of Cardano, a significant milestone was achieved in the ecosystem, marking over $30 billion, yes, billion with a B, worth of ADA staked on the network. That is a huge, huge achievement at just over 70% of the 31 billion circulating supply now locked in stake. Not only is this a stabilizing force for the price of ADA, but it's a great indicator of participation in the core block making mechanism on the Cardano blockchain. It shows that a large majority, or at least a lot of ADA holders are actively throwing their weight into the process of backing stake pools and securing the network. For a proof-of-stake network like Cardano, the absolute pinnacle of metrics is active stake and participation in the network by average holders. The more people who participate, the more stake in the mix amongst a diverse number of stake pools, the better. This all comes at the time when the Alonzo hard fork testnet period is really starting to catch steam and will be bringing smart contracts to the Cardano mainnet late this summer. Now, when that day comes and smart contracts do go live come August, it will be very interesting to see how much ADA moves out of stake pools and into DeFi protocols and other dApps. That will be very interesting and indicative of how many active users dApps will have on day one. Now, despite the hate towards Cardano, it seems that big players are also excited by what's coming to the Cardano network because Grayscale Capital just added a significant allocation of ADA to their digital large cap fund which is essentially comprised of significant cryptocurrency projects with larger market caps. 
This gives investors exposure to a variety of different projects in one single fund. Grayscale adding ADA to their fund indicates excitement at an even higher level that the price action we might see in ADA in the coming period of time could be pretty interesting. And it is also some confirmation that Cardano's time might be finally coming to make a big splash in the smart contract space and to finally earn some respect amongst those who really have hated on it for quite a long period of time. We shall see. Some other significant news in the DeFi space came this week as the powerhouse decentralized exchange ag- aggregator, excuse me, One Inch, announced it would be launching a stablecoin backed by both its native One Inch governance token and the popular USDC stablecoin. Now, this new One One Inch stablecoin, yes, it's a weird name, will undoubtedly be used heavily in the One Inch exchange for a plethora of DeFi applications, and it will be launched on the Ichi Digital Monetary Authority platform. And Ichi is named after the word for one in Japanese clever name for a stablecoin. And it's a platform on which stablecoins can be created and governed with ease. So I think this will continue to be playing a big part in the stablecoin space from here on out, this Ichi platform. It's really impressive stuff. I have a feeling they're going to see other DeFi players pushed into kind of making their own smart contract based stablecoins that are handled by the Ichi platform that each have unique attributes for specific apps. And on this Ichi platform, the stable coins are fully collateralized with assets contributed to minting the stable coin itself. Now, where I think this is going to play in big time for one inch is on that core platform where the one inch token will be used in tandem with this one one inch stable coin for exchange operations and pairs. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out in one inch's master plan as it looks like they're cooking something up here and pretty excited about it. Now, I want to quickly shout out the stellar sponsor of Crypto Over Coffee, my friends at Ledin. Now, if you are a Bitcoin or USDC holder, you can earn compounding interest on your assets on Ledin's savings account product, but you can also use Ledin's B2X product in certain regions to double your Bitcoin exposure during periods where you think the price might go up and increase your holdings. For example, you can take a loan against a portion of your existing Bitcoin balance, And then you can double your Bitcoin holdings against that portion to increase your position in Bitcoin. Now, this becomes extremely valuable when the price of Bitcoin is going up because you will increase your Bitcoin holdings. So you'll get exposure to that price growth, but you will easily then be able to take and pay off the loan that it took to get it, effectively buying Bitcoin at a lower price than you otherwise could have. Of course, this can also play out the opposite way if Bitcoin goes down. So this is not something to do without understanding all of the risks associated. So make sure you're being educated about this, folks. So B2X is not available in all regions, but savings plans are available in most, if not all regions. So please do check out Ledin if you haven't already with my referral link in the description below. Thank you to you and thank you to Ledin for keeping the lights on for Crypto Over Coffee. Now, next up is today's game of fact or FUD, where I take a piece of no good, very bad news and tell you whether it is fact or simply fear, uncertainty and doubt. Now, there's been this story and actually many stories about a Bitcoin ETF or exchange traded fund that would give access to a wide variety of traditional investors to Bitcoin in the form of a widely accessible investment product on the market. The rationale being that Bitcoin is an asset that has value to trade and hold, and it should be available as an ETF, much like gold is. And the idea further is that an ETF would move to legitimize Bitcoin to the broader investor demographics that would, of course, pump the price. This has resulted in countless submissions to the SEC, an application for a Bitcoin ETF from tons of players like the Winklevoss twins and recently ARK Invest. 
each and every time, the application is mulled over and delayed for ages. And eventually then it gets shot down by those decision makers. Every time, of course, the crypto space is disappointed and then we repeat this cycle of hype and defeat, price growth, price retraction because of this news. Now there's this rumble now that without a Bitcoin ETF that Bitcoin cannot truly break into the mainstream. In fact, so much stake is placed in the ETF that the sheer idea of it can move the price. However, the repeated failure to get an ETF approved has had the opposite effect, and I feel that people ascribe far too much value to the idea of a Bitcoin ETF. I mean, we already have institutions buying Bitcoin to hold on balance sheets. You have funds like Grayscale proving that the traditional finance methodology applies to crypto assets and more. Any discussion about Bitcoin needing an ETF to succeed really should take those things into consideration. Truthfully, I don't really care about a Bitcoin ETF. I don't think it's a do or die thing. I will of course be happy if by some miracle it is approved one day, but it will be a fleeting victory that in the grand scheme of things will end up not being a major driver for Bitcoin success. In my humble opinion, you might disagree and that is okay. Don't buy into the FUD though, folks. This Bitcoin ETF talk is cyclical and not worthy of the worry. If it happens, great. If not, no problem. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for 404 Logic Not Found. And for those of you who are as of yet uninitiated in the sole firecracker of a segment, I highlight notable tech-related fails or otherwise stupid moves in the world that just need to get some attention. And speaking of attention, if you want to help this video or this podcast get some attention from the algorithm gods, please do like this video comment below or follow the podcast on your platform of choice because it tells the robots that you're really liking what you're listening to or what you're watching and others might also do the same. So thank you for that in advance. It is time for a drink break. Folks, today I want to address a seriously contagious idea that has been plaguing the crypto space for a long, long time. This beautiful fallacy is encapsulated by this quote, I lost money, therefore it is a scam. Particularly when we are in times of bearishness like we are today, where we're 50% or more off the top end prices for many cryptocurrencies, you start to see both celebrities and average investors alike spreading negativity about cryptocurrency because they have lost significant amounts of money in investing. These sardonic attacks on cryptocurrency are always characterized by the largely same sort of pattern, where someone, famous or not, FOMOs into cryptocurrency at the top of a cycle and they lose money or they drop tons of money into a meme coin that quickly evaporates in price and they lose money. The list goes on and on. It's generally this theme. This is not to say that I am making light of or saying it is not a big deal that someone lost money. I'm not, that sucks, I've been there, it hurts, and I do not wish it upon anyone. I wanna help you avoid this experience. However, it is the attitude that sometimes follows these losses that I take issue with. More often than not, the narrative shifts quickly from, oh, I made a mistake to blaming others for the loss of money, claiming that cryptocurrency is a scam or the team behind a given project are criminals or that they've been tricked into investing in cryptocurrency and that's why they lost money. It becomes a situation where an investment does not play out as expected with profit and that is what makes it a scam. That is simply not factual. This is happening all the time right now where YouTubers and others with a platform even are making content or posting on social media that Bitcoin is a scam because it's down 50% from highs. And this is just irresponsible and frankly childish to be saying. When you invest in something, you are not guaranteed a profit. 
Nowhere are you are you guaranteed a profit. And there are plenty of asset classes, stocks, and, and more that are undervalued relative to their respective theoretical value. That does not make it a scam when you lose money on something. We're devaluing the word scam and generalizing scams as anything that's not profitable or any investment that is not a win. Now that is a dangerous game, folks. You hear this in a lot of early stage products in crypto too, not just Bitcoin, where a team is pushing hard, they're building, hype is driving the price of a token to all-time highs, and then eventually that hype slows down. And due to no fault of the project itself, the token starts to lose value just because of the natural hype cycle. At that point, people who jumped in at the top thinking, oh, I'm going to become a millionaire with this easy money token, scream that the project is a scam and that the founders should be in jail. This is absolutely unacceptable. There are instances where scams are legit. For example, where founders pump the token behind the scenes in groups, then they dump the token on the new entrance and crush liquidity and they take big profits. However, many times that that doesn't happen and everything is totally fine, people still scream scam. The truth is, each individual person is responsible for their own investment choices and the results. Even if you are the victim of a scam, you must accept the result. There's no real choice. I've been there. We all have. However, it is a sort of must of a learning experience when you grasp that crypto is not a get-rich-quick scheme. Despite the mainstream media's implications as such, you must have strict risk management strategies in place, you mustn't risk money you can't afford to lose, and you must expect or at least be okay with 50-80% drops in volatile times like this. If you cannot handle that, you should not be in cryptocurrencies as an investment. When someone makes a million off of a meme coin, it's off the backs of thousands of other people who lost their money. So just remember that. You're more likely to be the one who loses than you are to be the one who becomes a millionaire. When you understand that and you understand that crypto is a long game, a risky game, you realize that short-term price movement is an inevitability and it's going to look rough at times. You are not always going to win your trades. And a losing investment is not a scam. It's just a losing investment, a gamble that didn't pay off. If you don't have conviction in Bitcoin or crypto for the long term, then why buy it at all? Whenever you go to hit the buy button, you should be thinking to yourself, if I lose everything that I'm buying here right now tomorrow, will I be okay? If I lose 50% of this tomorrow, will I still want to hold this asset? Do I see this being more valuable in a year than it is today? If the answer to any of those questions is no, then you should close the browser tab, walk away, and go about your day. It saddens me greatly to see people losing money, especially large sums, and I want people to avoid destroying their lives with poorly risk-mitigated investments. That said, we must remember that poor investments are not always scams. They are often not scams, and calling it a scam only removes the meaning of the word when it really does apply, and people should be concerned about scams. So that is a definite 404 Logic Not Found. Now, folks, thank you so much for watching this episode of 404 Logic Not Found. If you're in the USA, please, please, from me to you, have a happy 4th of July. I hope everyone is going to have a fantastic weekend. Regardless of where you are, thank you again for watching this episode. If you've got some time to stick around, please do check out my top three VPN picks video, which I will link here on the screen for you to click. And I hope you and your family have a wonderful and restful week and weekend ahead. And until next time, cheers.